0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode in Herbert Smith Freehill's podcast series on public procurement. My name is Tim Briggs and I'm a partner in the firm's Competition, Regulation and Trade Group in London. Thank you for joining us in the lockdown. I hope that you are all in good health and managing to cope with the ongoing crisis. I'm joined today by my colleague Adrian Brown.
1: Hi Tim, hello everyone. I'm Adrian Brown, an of counsel in Tim's team and have been specialising in public procurement law for over 25 years. In this episode, we'll discuss some of the key procurement issues arising from the COVID-19 crisis. In particular, we'll look at the options available to public authorities for making rapid, urgent purchases of emergency items such as ventilators and personal protective equipment, or PPE. We'll also consider the scope for amending the terms of existing public contracts in order to cater for the changed circumstances of the crisis. We'll also explore the ways in which an authority running a procurement procedure may test the financial robustness of bidding suppliers and their ability to withstand the COVID-19 crisis.
0: First though we thought it would be topical to briefly discuss the EU's initiative for the joint procurement of urgent medical supplies and the widely reported failure by the UK to join that scheme. Ever since COVID 19 began to take hold in Europe, public procurement has been front page news because of the need for national governments to acquire urgent, high volume supplies of medical equipment. In particular, governments and national health authorities have been scrambling to acquire large quantities of PPE, such as masks, gloves, and gowns, as well as ventilators and testing kits. Adrian. Public procurement is usually organised at a national level. So what exactly is the EU Joint Procurement Scheme?
1: Well, back in 2013, as a reaction to earlier flu outbreaks, the EU adopted a decision allowing it to take preventive measures to tackle serious cross-border threats to health. Article 5 of that decision allows the EU institutions and any EU member states which so desire to engage in the joint procurement of medical supplies. Under a mechanism called the Joint Procurement Agreement, or JPA, any such joint procurement will be conducted by the European Commission on behalf of any EU member states which opt to participate. The Commission will use the tendering procedures found in the EU procurement directives. The purpose of the scheme is to allow participants to act together as a big block purchaser, securing the best prices and forcing their way to the front of the queue at a time of international shortage. Under the JPA, between 28 February and 19 March 2020, the European Commission launched four separate calls for tenders. These covered medical ventilators, the respiratory equipment, personal protective equipment such as gowns and gloves, and laboratory equipment, including testing kits. The total value of all the supplies being sought is estimated to be around 1.5 billion euro the tenders were launched on behalf of 25 EU member states. Despite Brexit, the UK was still eligible to participate until the end of 2020, when the Brexit's transition period is due to expire. However, the UK did not elect to participate in these four tenders. The precise reasons for that failure to opt in are shrouded in mystery.
0: That's right. The UK government initially claimed that it had not joined the scheme due to a communications error. It was suggested that the Commission had used an out-of-date defunct email address when inviting the UK to participate. A senior civil servant, Sir Simon MacDonald, then made headlines on the 21st of April when he told a parliamentary committee that the UK government had taken a deliberate political decision not to participate in light of Brexit. This account was promptly denied by the government and Sir Simon hastily retracted his statement. So the official line remains that the UK failed to participate in the EU tenders due to a communications error.
1: In the meantime, the European Commission has announced that all four of its calls for tender have successfully identified companies which are willing to supply the goods to the scale and quality required. The first tender had initially failed due to a lack of suitable suppliers, but it was then relaunched on 12th March. The timeline for delivery varies. Some of the PPE was expected to arrive in late April the time frame for the delivery of ventilators is slower, with the EU warning that it may take as long as a year for all of the machines to arrive. For its part, the UK has had to fall back on its own efforts at a national level to acquire, at great speed, the large volumes of medical equipment and PPE which it requires. It seems clear though that the UK has at times struggled to keep up with demand for such items. Most public sector purchases in the UK are, of course, governed by the Public Contracts Regulations 2015, the PCR, and these closely mirror the procurement rules laid down in EU directives. In the current time of crisis, it is relevant to consider whether this legislation is sufficiently flexible to allow for rapid emergency purchases of medical supplies and other essential goods and services.
0: In light of the COVID 19 crisis, the UK Cabinet Office issued a procurement policy note, PPN 0120, in late March. This policy note gives guidance on the options available to contracting authorities for making emergency purchases while remaining compliant with procurement law. The European Commission issued similar guidance in a communication published on the 1st of April. Both the UK and EU guidance recall that the procurement legislation does allow contracting authorities to award very urgent contracts without first holding an advertised competitive tendering procedure, provided certain conditions are met.
1: Yes, Regulation 32.2c of the PCR and an equivalent provision in the EU procurement directives allows for a so-called direct award where four conditions are met. First, there must be genuine reasons of extreme urgency. The UK guidance acknowledges that such urgency will exist where there is an immediate need to respond to the consequences of the COVID-19 emergency due to public health risks. Second, the events that led to the extreme urgency must have been unforeseeable. There is an argument that the pandemic was to some extent foreseeable, given previous international health emergencies and the warnings that started to emerge from China in January. However, the UK and EU guidelines implicitly recognise that the sheer scale and incredibly rapid spread of the pandemic were not foreseeable. A third condition for the exemption is that the circumstances giving rise to the urgency are not attributable to the contracting authority. Clearly, the pandemic itself is not directly attributable to contracting authorities, but there may be circumstances where an authority has contributed to the urgency, for example, through its own delay in reacting to the crisis and instigating the necessary procurement processes. The final condition is that it must not be possible for the authority to comply with the time limits for an ordinary competitive procedure under the PCR.
0: And on that last point... The UK and EU guidelines recall that the PCR and the EU directives provide for accelerated versions of the ordinary award procedures. For example, under an accelerated open procedure, the authority may call for tenders to be submitted within only 15 days instead of allowing the usual minimum of 30 days. The minimum time limits may also be shortened in accelerated versions of the restricted procedure and the competitive procedure with negotiation, such that these procedures can be completed in little more than one month. The PCR allow these accelerated procedures to be used where a state of urgency means that it is not practicable to apply the ordinary longer time limits. The recent UK and EU guidance stressed that before an authority uses an unregulated direct award, on grounds of extreme urgency, it should first consider whether there is sufficient time to conduct a full advertised competition using the accelerated time limits. If there is sufficient time, the authority should use one of these accelerated procedures rather than reverting to a completely unregulated direct award, The overall message from the guidance is, therefore, that the direct award of contracts without any prior advertised competition should be reserved for truly urgent and exceptional cases. As time passes and the COVID-19 crisis becomes the new normal, it will become increasingly difficult for contracting authorities to claim credibly that there is extreme urgency due to unforeseeable circumstances.
1: Another option referred to in the PPN 0120 is the possibility of amending an existing public contract between the authority and a relevant supplier. Where there is increased demand for a particular product or service, the authority could seek to expand an existing contract awarded previously under the PCR so that it covers a larger volume or a wider range of suppliers than had been envisaged under the original contract. Alternatively, an authority may wish to reduce its purchases under an existing contract because demand for the supply or service in question has fallen away as a result of the current crisis. For example, demand may well have plummeted for needs such as school meals, road repairs and perhaps the cleaning of public buildings. Regulation 72 of the PCR lays down the general principle that where an existing public contract is substantially modified during its term – This gives rise to a new and different contract which the authority must put back out to tender under the PCR's procedures. However, Regulation 72.1 does allow for certain exemptions from this requirement.
0: Yes, that's right. Two particular exemptions may be relevant in the context of COVID-19. First, Regulation 72.1b refers to the situation where Additional services or supplies have become necessary over and above those foreseen in the original contract and a change of supplier cannot be made for economic or technical reasons. Second, Regulation 72.1c allows for changes to be made to an existing contract where the need for change has been brought about by circumstances which a diligent authority could not have foreseen. The COVID 19 outbreak could qualify as such an unforeseeable circumstance. Both of these exemptions are subject to the condition that any resulting increase in the price payable under the contract must not exceed 50% of the value of the original contract. This condition limits the extent to which an authority can seek to push additional orders through the pre existing contract. An additional condition is that the contract modification must not change the overall nature of the contract. This implies that these exemptions would not cover the situation where an existing supplier switches from providing one type of product or service to something completely different. For example, a switch from supplying office stationery to hand sanitizer, or from transporting children to transporting PPE. It should also be recalled that any authority seeking to rely on either of these two grounds is required to publish the so-called modification notice in the official journal, explaining and justifying its recourse to the exemption.
1: Well, the huge disruption caused by the COVID-19 emergency, including a drastic fall in demand for many goods and services, has put the very survival of many suppliers at risk. In that context, the Cabinet Office has issued a second procurement policy note, PPN 0220, aimed at ensuring that contracting authorities take steps to safeguard their suppliers. This PPN urges contracting authorities to urgently review their contract portfolio and to reassure suppliers who may be at risk that they will continue to be paid as normal by the authority, at least until the end of June, even if service delivery by that supplier is disrupted or temporarily suspended. The PPN also asks authorities to put in place payment measures to support the cash flow of suppliers, such as forward ordering, payment in advance, interim payments or payment on order, not on receipt. The guidance calls on contracting authorities to ensure that invoices submitted by suppliers are paid immediately on receipt in order to maintain cash flow in the supply chain and to protect jobs. If the contract involves payment by results, then payment should be based on previous invoices, for example, the average monthly payment over the previous three months. According to the PPN, in order to qualify for this relief, suppliers should agree to act on an open book basis and to make their cost data available to the contracting authority during this period. Suppliers should also continue to pay their own employees and subcontractors.
0: These measures, if fully implemented, will clearly put yet more strain on the already stretched budgets of contracting authorities. Paying suppliers in advance for supplies or services which may be reduced or suspended could be very expensive for the public sector. Nonetheless, the government appears to have decided that this is a price worth paying in order to protect the financial viability of its suppliers and their downstream supply chains during the COVID-19 crisis. The overall aim is to help ensure that these suppliers are still in business and able to continue or resume supplying their goods and services to contracting authorities as and when the economy returns to normal.
1: On the same theme, Tim, it's also worth mentioning briefly two further guidance notes issued by UK government in response to the crisis. First, PPN 0320 instructs central government authorities to ensure the prompt payment of their suppliers by using so-called procurement cards, These are a form of internal government credit card used by procurement officers within central government. Second, the government has issued a guidance note headed supporting vital service provision under PFI contracts during the COVID-19 emergency. This note urges contractors under private finance initiative contracts to cooperate with the public sector to ensure the continued delivery of public services. It stresses that the COVID-19 emergency is not to be regarded as an event of force majeure. The note calls on contracting authorities to maintain unitary charge payments, enabling their PFI contractors to continue to pay their own workforce and suppliers. The note also states that some changes may need to be made to the contract requirements and the payment and performance mechanisms during the crisis. Any such changes would of course take us back to the issue of contract modifications, which we discussed earlier can be seen from all of these policy notes that the UK government is encouraging contracting authorities to do all that they reasonably can to support their suppliers during the crisis.
0: Indeed. All these measures reflect the fact that many suppliers to public authorities are currently vulnerable and are facing the risk of economic hardship or even collapse as a result of the COVID-19 crisis. This raises the issue of how a contracting authority can be confident that a bidder for a public contract has a robust financial position. When awarding a new procurement procedure or completing one that was started before the crisis, contracting authorities will want to be sure that bidders will remain financially viable if and when they are awarded the contract. The PCR allow contracting authorities to apply selection criteria at the shortlisting stage which are aimed at verifying that bidders have the necessary economic and financial standing to perform the contract if selected. For this purpose, Authorities usually rely on information in the bidder's audited annual accounts for the most recent financial year. However, those accounts will be up to a year old and may well predate the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Yes, I have seen this issue arise in some current procedures. It is true that the financial standing criteria are usually based on the historic data set out in the audited accounts of bidders. Furthermore, where a bidder is a quoted public company, that company may not be permitted to release detailed financial information to a contracting authority which it has not yet formally disclosed to its own shareholders. Nonetheless, in my view, it would be permissible for an authority to include additional questions in its PQQ, asking bidders to supply forecasts of the expected impact of the COVID-19 crisis on their business – Bidders may also be asked to summarise the measures that they have or will put in place to ensure their financial stability going forwards. The authority could also ask bidders to supply periodic updates on their finances throughout the procurement procedure. Finally, just before the contract award, the authority could undertake an updated formal assessment of the financial position of the preferred bidder.
0: We're now coming towards the end of this episode. Overall, we have seen that the procurement regulations do leave some flexibility for contracting authorities to adapt their procurement practices and existing contracts to the COVID-19 crisis. In particular, an authority may be able to award a contract directly without prior competition where there is extreme urgency. It may also be able to expand or modify its current contracts with its existing suppliers. However, The legislation does place various limits on how far an authority can go without holding a new, fully compliant procurement procedure. If an authority does go too far and breaches the rules, the risk is that a rival supplier may bring a claim against the public authority under the PCR. Adrian, how likely do you think it is in practice that a supplier would bring a challenge in the current climate?
1: Well, suppliers are likely to think carefully before taking a public authority to court at a time of national emergency. A supplier may suffer reputational damage if it is seen to be holding up the efforts of public authorities to deal with the health crisis. However, the very survival of many companies is at stake in the current crisis. If a supplier feels that it has been denied the opportunity to bid for a valuable public contract – and that this contract has been gifted to one of its competitors, it might well feel compelled to start a claim in the High Court under the PCR. Where an authority has awarded a contract without holding any prior competitive tendering procedure, a claimant could seek a declaration of contract ineffectiveness. However, a court may refuse to grant this remedy if there are overriding public interest reasons for maintaining that contract, which way may well be the case if the contract is linked to combating the coronavirus. Alternatively, or in addition, the claimant could seek an award of damages.
0: It will be interesting to see over time whether the number of legal challenges under the PCR increases or falls as a result of the current crisis. I should note to listeners that in one of the other podcasts in this series, two of our colleagues in disputes, Desrat Zahar and Rachel Lydgate, discussed the impact of the COVID-19 crisis on procurement litigation and court procedures. I recommend that you also listen to that episode.
1: Before we close, Tim, there's one final point that's worth recalling. The UK government announced in late 2019 that it intended to replace the PCR with a new, simpler procurement regime by the end of the Brexit transition period on 31st December 2020. Our first podcast in this series discussed that proposal in some detail. The announcement said that the government intended to launch a public consultation on the proposed reform in the first half of 2020, However, to date, there's been no sign of this consultation. The consultation appears to have been delayed by the COVID-19 emergency. This is understandable. The government has clearly had other, more pressing concerns to occupy its time and resources since the outbreak of the pandemic. The timing of the proposed reform of the PCR remains uncertain. But my current expectation is that it may slip until into 2021.
0: Thank you, Adrian. That completes this podcast. I hope that it has provided some interesting insights into the challenges facing contracting authorities and their suppliers during the current COVID-19 emergency, and on the extent to which the procurement regulations allow some flexibility for dealing with the crisis. These are extraordinary times, but there are signs that the situation will gradually improve over the coming weeks and months. In the meantime, we hope that you all stay safe and well. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Goodbye.